Good morning once again and welcome. As I mentioned, my name is Craig and I'm the senior pastor. It's our privilege to have you with us. Thank you so much today. Uh, we are finally starting in the Ten Commandments. So we were in the book of Acts for about a year and a half. And today we begin uh, what would be ten weeks in the Ten Commandments, uh, one for each commandment. If I had to do over again, we might would have gone a little bit longer. I told him in the first service I've been digging into this and kind of wish I'd spent a little bit, uh, a little bit of time in the planning to give us a little more time on the front end. But I'm excited about what the Lord has in store for us in Exodus 20 as we work our way through these ten commandments. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to read three verses. Listen, for those of you that don't like reading long passages of Scripture in life group on Sunday mornings, the next 10 weeks will be great for you because these are going to be really short ones. Uh, my life group complains because you know, last week it was like 13 verses and they don't like reading the Bible or something. I don't know. Um, and they all gripe. But they'll all be fighting with one another to read three next week. All right. Y'all stand with me in honor of God's Word. Here now, for this is the Word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would instill in us the importance and the necessity of honoring you above all else in our life. Help us, Father God, to hear this word, not only with our ears. I pray, Father God, that it would be understood with our heads, and Father, we would take root in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This morning, I'm going to wrestle with the question of whether or not, well not, not whether or not God should be jealous, but why is God jealous? We don't really get to decide what God should or shouldn't be. We, we can wrestle with the question maybe, why is God the way that he is? I am a husband and a father. As a result, I, I find myself being jealous, not of my wife and children, but jealous for my wife and children. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm jealous because I love them. It's, it's appropriate. Now, there's an appropriate form of jealousy. Um, and, and men, I, I want to speak very clearly to this. There's an appropriate form of jealousy. And that, that's a form of jealousy that's a jealousy for, for instance, my wife. For me to have a desire to protect her and to protect our marriage and our relationship, to protect my children. That's a, a jealousy maybe for their attention or for, for their safe being. It's very different than being jealous of them, jealous of their accomplishments. Or, or perhaps it's, it's very different, especially very different from being um, domineering over them or, or in some way being abusive or controlling. But when the Bible teaches us that God is a jealous God, it, at least part of that is rooted in the reality that God loves us. That God desires what is best for us. That, that his jealousy is rooted in his love for truth and for his people. And, and he's doing all that he can to get us to the place that we need to be. Um, I, and, and so it's, it's appropriate for God to be jealous. I shouldn't say that. God doesn't need me to tell what is appropriate. But, but the reasons that God is jealous for us is for his glory and for our good. And we don't need to miss that what is done for God's glory ultimately does result, at least eternally, in our good. And so as we begin this journey through the Ten Commandments, we begin with a realization that they were given to us by a jealous God, a God who loves his people. Now, there's three things I want us to pick up from these few verses this morning. 
And the first thing I want us to see is that God has spoken. God has spoken. Now, we recognize that God has spoken in giving the Ten Commandments, but you also recognize this is Exodus chapter 20, which means there are 19 chapters that take place before we get here. And in those 19 chapters, God speaks over and over and over again. But in the chapter immediately preceding, God has actually spoken to Israel. And in his speaking, well, he spoke to Moses. And in speaking to Moses, he says, listen, you're going to go up there on the mountain tomorrow, and, and I'm going to give you my law. But when I, you go up to, to receive the law, he said, I, I want to make sure that you understand, that the people understand, they don't need to draw near to the mountain. Moses, that mountain is going to be a sacred, set-apart place. And, and Moses, the people need to stay away because if they touch the mountain, if they, they get too close to my presence, they're going to die. And so urge them to stay far away. And so Moses says to the people, y'all stay far away. This is God speaking. And then you've got God then saying, when you love this, he says, oh, by the way, go tell Aaron for him to come as well. And Aaron had to be like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. You said if we get up there, we're going to die. I, isn't there somebody else? Folks, we, we've misunderstood to some degree the holiness of, of this God who speaks. We are so blessed to be people living in the new covenant where Jesus has taken on flesh and lived and walked among us, that his Holy Spirit is with us. But sometimes in acknowledging or celebrating the imminence of God, the closeness of God, we, we miss aspects of the holiness and the power of God. And so this, this God who speaks is a God who speaks in such an incredible way that it's terrifying. The Bible says that this mountain, there was fire on the mountain, there was lightning and thunder, and the voice of God just boomed. These are the ways that God speaks, and it shouldn't surprise us because God's words are powerful. God's words are powerful. Now, God's words are not just powerful on this mountain. I mean, God actually speaks these Ten Commandments in such a way that they are engraved into the stone. But it's not just those words that represent the power of God. We remember that we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and it was with words that God actually created the entire word, world. Powerful words. He spoke creation into being. As if that were not enough, when it was time for God to pull Israel out of Egypt, he appeared and he spoke to Moses with words. And he sent Moses as his spokesperson with his brother Aaron to Pharaoh to speak with words. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as Israel has now been ejected out of Egypt, and by ejected, understand what happened is things get bad enough that Egypt finally says, get out of here. Pharaoh says, we can't take anymore. We're going to look at all that in just a minute. But this, this God who pulls his people out of Egypt, he brings them to this holy mountain. And it's with his words that God is doing what he is creating for himself a people. A very special people set apart for his purposes. And so it's with these words that God is doing incredible, powerful, redemptive things. God speaks and his very words create and as a result of that, we understand that God is jealous. He's jealous in part because he has worked on behalf of this stubborn people. Just imagine, over and over, he has worked for them. 
And so when God gives them these words, these ten words as they are known in the Hebrew language, He intends for them not just to be obeyed, He intends for the children of Israel to understand that through these words He's creating for Himself a people. And this people is going to have a special place in, in history. So God's words are powerful. We also see, however, that God's revelation is an act of His mercy and His grace. Do you know that God did not have to speak? God chose to speak. Man, have any of you ever, ever gotten the silent treatment? I asked this in the first service, and one guy told me after. He said, I've been trying to get the silent treatment for so long. Um, and I know he said it to his wife because I saw her hit him during the service. So guys, be careful. This could come back to bite you. But, but how many of you have gotten the silent treatment before? You know, they're just not going to speak. My ultimate effort to just not speak. Maybe you didn't get that from somebody you love. But how many of you just tried to hide? I mean, how many of you, y'all know what this is like. You just didn't want to speak to anybody. Y'all ever had those days? And, and it was one of those days where you were trying your best not to speak to somebody. Some of you ladies, guys I don't think usually think this way, but occasionally ladies think this way. You know, I didn't expect to see anybody. I, I don't even have any makeup on. I just ran out to the store, whatever it might be. And, and so you run to the store, and lo and behold, you get there, and it happens to be the day that everybody and their brother decided to show up. You have to stand in line for like 30 minutes just to check out. And while you're there, everybody, including your long-lost Aunt Edna, shows up to speak to you while you're standing in the line. The only thing you want to do is hide from the whole world, and yet the whole world has found you out. Y'all, I want you to understand that God's not hiding from us. He has chosen to reveal himself to us, even though he was under no obligation to do so. God did not have to give these words to his people. And yet he has. And y'all, it's not just that he has spoken to Israel. He's spoken to us. As a matter of fact, he's not only spoken and revealed himself through spoken and written word. The Bible says that Jesus is the very living word of God made incarnate among us. He has revealed himself through the living word. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. That's Jesus Christ. He's going to go on in John chapter 1 and he's going to say that this God in Jesus took on flesh and came down and lived among us as his people, revealing himself. Why is God jealous? Why should God's rules be obeyed and honored? God is jealous because he has spoken to us. And he has a right for us to believe that we should honor these. And y'all understand these ten commandments? These are words that God has spoken and written in stone. Do you know that of all the other words that God spoke in all of the Bible, it was only these ten commandments that God etched into stone. And I believe the reason for that is because God intended for those Ten Commandments to be bearing on His people for all time. As a matter of fact, almost every one of y'all would agree that the Ten Commandments still have bearing on us. Y'all would all agree the Ten Commandments are still to be obeyed. There's only one. Do you know there's only one of the Ten Commandments that people like to argue with me about anymore? Christians like to argue, I should say. Which one is it? It's Sabbath. Do you know that Jesus... Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And of all the Ten Commandments, the only one that Christians like to argue that he fulfilled is the law of Sabbath. Nobody says he fulfilled the law of taking God's name in vain, but he fulfilled the law of Sabbath. Why? I'm going to tell you why. That got, came off kind of strong, sorry. felt like Barney Fife right there. It was a citizen's arrest. Um, <laughs> move on. I, I need my bullet. Uh, anyway, all right. 
Some of y'all don't even know Barney Five Fists because y'all haven't been cultured enough. That's the problem with America today, right there. The Ten Commandments and Barney Fife and the whole world would be a better place. What was I even talking about? I have no idea. Sabbath. Sabbath. You want to, I mean, let, let's just be honest. The reason we don't like Sabbath is because truthfully, that one gets closest to our heart than just about anything else. Because we don't want anybody telling us what we do with our time. Well, so if I can just say Jesus fulfilled it, then I don't have to set apart the Sabbath for worship and for rest. I can just set apart the Sabbath for anything I want it to be. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's no big deal, just Sabbath. Oh, problem is it's in the Ten Commandments. It's right there. God commanded it. He hasn't undone it. And yet we find every excuse we can to replace Sabbath worship and Sabbath rest with something else. Because our efforts are to keep up with the Joneses. Here's the problem. When we replace Sabbath rest continually and regularly with anything else, we're also violating the first commandment because we're finding something else to be our God and sticking it into the place of worship. Now you can pick whatever that thing is right but the reality is far too many christians have decided that the sabbath doesn't matter even though jesus himself said sabbath was made man was not made for sabbath but sabbath made for the man jesus said you need it it's important we need what we need rest and we need regular worship and somehow or other We've created this idea as followers of Jesus that, well, we can get some worship some of the time and still give God all of our lives. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. It don't work that way. That's like me looking at my wife and saying, I come home some of the time, but I still love you with all my heart. I don't think she's going for that, y'all. I'm just going to be totally honest. She's a, she's a pretty tolerant woman to put up with me. But believe it or not, she actually likes me enough to expect me to be home occasionally. Anyway, moving on. So God has spoken, and he's spoken us these words with the expectation not that if we do them, we will love him, right? Not that if we do them, we will be loved by him. No, no, no. He says to them, you, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he says, I am God. I am your Lord, period. And he speaks to them with what? With that covenant name, I am the Lord. In your Bible, if you look there where it says Lord in the Old Testament, it's all caps right there. Anytime you see that, it's a, it's, it's, it's a way for us to understand that God is speaking in his covenant or proper name. So what we would see there, if we were looking into a Hebrew language, we would see that that is the proper name of God. And it's spelled out just with the consonants J-H-W-H or Y-H-W-H. Okay? We believe, scholars believe, that the pronunciation of that in the ancient world would have been Yahweh. Um, it, 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 there was a, the belief um, a generation or so ago that it would have been Jehovah. If you ever heard Jehovah or Yahweh, the, the idea, the effort is to get at the same thing because the original Hebrew language didn't have vowels in it. Can you imagine us trying to spell without vowels? No vowels, and so... The, the, the divine tetragrammaton there is just Y-H-W-H. Well, the Y and the J is interchangeable in a lot of languages. So whether or not it's Jehovah, J-E-H-O-V-A-H, or Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. Okay? The, the effort is still to get to the same place. Most scholars today believe it's Yahweh instead of Jehovah, just in, as, as their understanding of language has, has improved and has changed over time. 
But understand that he says to them, I am your covenant God. And as a result, you should do these things. Not if you do these things, I'll be your covenant God. No, no, I am him. I am your covenant God. God has spoken. Don't miss this. We are privileged to live under God's spoken word. Why can God be jealous of when he's spoken? Number two, God has delivered. God has delivered. Why was Israel in Egypt? Now, it's, it's important for us to keep this in mind. Israel was in Egypt, not because Israel did something wrong. Israel's in Egypt because Joseph, one, one, of, uh, one of the patriarchs in Israel, ends up in Egypt. Long story short, he ends up in a place, a position of authority. He brings his whole family in. About 77 people come into Egypt. And, and they're set up in a very fertile part of Egypt. And over time, the Lord uses the land of Egypt as, as a sort of incubator for his people. They come in as 77. By the time they leave 430 years later in the Exodus, there's a million of them, of a mixed multitude of people that are leaving out. God has used Egypt to grow his people. But because they grew so strong, the Bible teaches us that the Egyptians began to fear the Israelites. And so rather than continuing to welcome them as neighbors and as friends, they began to utilize them for slave labor. They began to imprison them. They, they utilized the, Israel, the, the Israelites to build cities and to build pyramids and to build roads. They became an incredible slave labor force in Egypt. But after a period of time, the Lord had had enough of seeing his people suffer. And he heard their prayers... And he revealed himself to Moses, again, this God who speaks in the wilderness. And he spoke to him in a burning bush. And it's in that place that he gave that covenant name. See, Moses said, who am I going to say sent me? Because God said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses said, who am I going to say sent me? And, Moses, and, and the Lord says, you tell him, I am that am. That's where we get that Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. I am that am. So that's what he says. So when the Bible teaches us that the Lord spoke to them, they understand not just that he spoke, they understand that this is the God who delivered them who has spoken. The very God of the covenant. And this God has taken his people Israel, and after a period of plagues and of words and of commands, he finally pulls them out of Egypt. And the climax of that event was the Exodus, or excuse me, the Passover. You see, the Lord sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh. Most of y'all know the story. And for a period of time, God sent nine plagues onto the people of Egypt. There were crazy things like flies and frogs. There was water that turned into blood. There was darkness. And the Lord continued to show his power over and over and over again. And over and over and over again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he continued to refuse to allow God's people to leave. And so finally the Lord sends Moses and he says to Pharaoh, there will be one more plague if you will not allow my people to leave. And if you don't allow my people to leave, the plague that is coming upon this place, it will be a plague of death. And in every house of Egypt, the firstborn will die. Pharaoh says, they're not going anywhere. God says to Moses, you say to my people that on the night of the plague, Every household is to take for themselves a lamb. Slaughter that lamb. They are then to take the blood of that lamb and they're to paint it across the doorposts of their house, across the thresholds. And he says, so that when I go to inflict my punishment, to inflict death upon the people of Egypt, I want to make certain that my people 
are covered by the blood of this lamb. And the Lord says, when I see the blood on the doorposts, I will pass over my people. And rather than take the life of their firstborn, the blood of that lamb will be sufficient. See, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so one of the things that we see in this passage as the Passover takes place, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Now, Israel is God's people, and they're in a foreign land. But even as God's people, guess what? They still can't come face to face with a holy God without an intermediary. There's got to be blood that protects them. The sacrifice is necessary. The shed blood of the Lamb saves their lives when the holy God of the universe comes among them. Don't miss that. However, in the Passover, the thing that is never mentioned is that these plagues are coming upon Egypt because of Israel's sin. It wasn't Israel's sin that kept them in Egypt. It was Pharaoh's sin and it was God's will, but Pharaoh refused to release them. And as a result of Pharaoh's refusal, Egypt was punished... But Israel was protected. Here's what I want us to grasp. Not only did that Passover lamb protect Israel from death at, in the presence of a holy and almighty God. I want you to see this because it's super important. That Passover lamb also served to rescue Israel from the punishment of the sins of other people. I don't want you to miss this this morning. Yes, Jesus died to set you free from your sins. Absolutely. But some of you, some of you are held captive by the things that have been done to you by others. The sins of others continue to have incredible negative impacts on your life. You continue to be hurt and shackled and chained by what others have done to you. Well, the Bible teaches us that Jesus died not just to deliver you from your sin, but to deliver you from the sins of others. Egypt has no power over you anymore. You've been set free. You've been set free. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus died scorning the shame of the cross. He scorned or disdained your shame as well. He set you free from it. That's the power of, the, of, the, of, of the, the gospel. So when God speaks to Israel, he's speaking to them from this mountain as a God who has delivered them. God set Israel free from their captivity and their humiliation. And y'all, he desires to do that for you as well. The invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. You see, I told you that Israel went into, into Egypt as 77 persons, but they left as a mixed multitude of a million. What is this mixed multitude? They were not all ethnic Jews at this point. They were not all, all ethnically related to Joseph's people. It was a mixed multitude. All who would fall under God's rule and God's blessing were welcome to leave with the Israelites. And the truth continues to be today that all who would submit themselves under the mighty holy hand of God and accept the gospel call of Jesus Christ can be delivered today. This is why God can be jealous for us. 
Because he set us free. He's delivered us. Look, God has set you free from your sin and your shame. He's done it. And I don't want you to miss it. Man, some Christians continue to allow the pain inflicted on them by others in the past to dominate them in the present and to control their future. Listen to me. Your marriage doesn't have to be bad because your mama was bad. Your marriage doesn't have to be bad because your daddy was bad. You don't have to be a failure because your parents failed you. You're not damaged goods because somebody hurt you. You've been redeemed and set free. Imagine. Imagine. I wish I'd done this in the first service. I didn't paint them this word picture and I wish I had. See, we experience spiritual deliverance, which is unbelievable. That means for all of eternity, we've been set free to live with Jesus, and the day will come when we see him face to face. Israel experienced a physical deliverance. We know that we've been forgiven objectively, but sometimes subjectively it's difficult to feel that forgiveness, to feel set free. Here's what Israel never struggled with when they were standing at the base of that mountain and looking up at God speaking. In hearing his voice, they never wondered if they'd been set free from Egypt. They never wondered because their feet were on new ground. They had left the confines of their enslavement and they were standing in the presence of the holy God. Now look, it wasn't all perfect for them. We're going to see that over the course of years, Israel's constantly going to be running from God's love for them and running back toward idols because our hearts are idol factories drawing us constantly back. We'll look at that in a minute. But Israel didn't question whether or not they'd been delivered. They knew it without a shadow of a doubt. They were standing in the middle of God's promise that we talked about with Paul last week. They were standing in the middle of it. That's where they were. They've been delivered. And y'all, you've been delivered as well. But listen to me. If you have not yet been delivered, if you've not experienced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's what I want you to know. The God who speaks is the God who continues to deliver today. And today can be the day of your salvation. You can be set free. God has spoken. God has delivered. And then third this morning, there is no other God. Our hearts are idol factories. Now, and, and that's important because when I say there is no other God, most of y'all go, well, of course there's not. I'm in a Southern Baptist church. I don't believe in other gods. Now, let's, let's deal with it, just a little bit of language here. In chapter, chapter 20, verse 3, he says, You shall have no other gods before me. I, I want to make sure that we understand that before is not a statement of priority. This is not somehow God saying, well, there's all these other gods and you've got to put me first. No, no, no. God is not saying that at all. This is, there will be no other gods in my face or in my presence. Don't even pretend like they exist. Now, where is God? God is omnipotent and omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. That means that everywhere God is, there is nothing else. That's all the God that there is. There's one God, okay? And y'all go, well, Craig, yeah. I mean, you're getting paid to stand up in front of us this week and tell us there's one God. We got that figured out. Could you give us a better sermon? 
Some of y'all are going to have, we, we need the meat, Craig. This is the milk. Well, here's the problem with this. All of y'all would acknowledge the existence of only one God with your lips, but the reality is oftentimes with our lives, we confuse this. John Calvin famously said that our hearts are idol factories. Given some time, we will come up with all sorts of things to worship. What is a God? Your God, functionally, is that thing which gets the most of your attention or your time or your talents or your treasures. That's where your God is. Remember, we started off talking about Sabbath. And so, what? yeah, we, we, you might you say, Craig, I don't worship the God of Baal. No, you don't worship the God of Baal. You, you may worship the God of, of Baal or, or Bucks or beer. You might worship the God of, of sat, satisfaction. You might worship the God of keeping up with the Joneses. See, our hearts create for us idols. You say, but Craig, I'm not like those people. Hold on, you're right. You're right. We are far more advanced than those people who would bow down before pagan gods in, Canaan, in a Canaanite world. Those people would pray to Baal for fertility. Those people would pray to the gods that the gods would bless their children or that the gods would make them prosperous or the gods would prosper their crops. And when that god didn't work, they'd run to another temple and they'd throw some more money out at that god and say, well, this one will probably get, be, be the one that brings me all the joy and happiness I need. And when that one didn't work, they'd go, well, this will be it. And then one day, you know, that guy looks at his wife and she says, honey, haven't you spent tons of money on all these different gods? And he said, you ready? Yeah, I have, honey, but this will be the last one. This one will be the one that finally bring, makes me happy. I just know it. See, that's right. There wasn't a singular God, not until this God of the Old Testament reveals himself to Israel. There was not a singular God that was worshipped. There was a plethora of gods. And people sat around and went, Hey, I bet this one will be what my kids need to finally get over the, the top. This will be what finally gets my kids competitive. This will be the one that makes me competitive. This will be the one that makes me happy. Y'all see where I'm going with this, right? You see, our idols don't have to be pagan gods. Our idols are those things that we continue to shell out money for or time towards. No, you don't. You don't worship a pagan god in a pagan temple but we'd be hard pressed sometimes to look at some of our cultural experiences and differentiate them from pagan worship how did they worship pagan gods they'd go to giant temples filled with wild rowdy people and get mad drunk and spend hours and hours on end and ecstatic experiences celebrating sounds similar to some things we do sometimes in this culture doesn't it There's no other gods. Listen, we were made to worship, but all other objects of worship lead to death. That... It's so important for us to understand this because Satan is a liar, and he's a good liar. And he will convince us that there is joy and satisfaction and hope and even some degree of salvation and all these other things that the world has to offer. But the Lord says you shall have no other gods. Period. No other gods besides me. Period. Oh, we don't want to do away with him. 
none of you want to do away with him or you wouldn't be here today. But you're satisfied to have a little bit of God along with everything else. Well, God, I'll give you half of my Sundays, but God, I need to give the other half to this stuff because, Lord, you don't understand, but God, if, if, if I went to church all the time, then, you know, I couldn't do this or my kids would get behind in that. Well, Pastor, you don't understand because if, if, if we did that, then, y'all, at the end of the day, we, we have to come back to the, no other gods. Well, well, well Pastor, you understand, we... We, we didn't, we're only in church once a month, but we do a devotion every Sunday, so no other gods. See, at the end of the day, folks, it really doesn't matter if you satisfy me. See, that's, that's the thing. We serve an intolerant God, and we may live in a culture that desires toleration everywhere we turn, but we serve an intolerant God. He's a patient God wanting that none should perish, but he will not share his glory with another. There is no other God. Parents, trust me when I tell you. Please. And if you won't trust me, trust God's word. Salvation is available under no other name. This brings us all the way back around to Acts, doesn't it? The same message has been true from Genesis all the way to Revelation. There is one God who demands all of our devotion and worship. Where's yours? Where's yours? Where do your children see your worship and devotion? Where do your grandchildren see your worship and devotion? What is it? Well, Craig, you don't understand the culture we live in. I don't know if you understand the culture from which Israel was redeemed. The gods of Egypt, the sun god and the moon god and the river god. You see, Israel had lived 430 years in bondage to a culture that celebrated an entire plethora of gods. You'll see if you continue reading in the story of the Exodus that they finally get to a place and they say, we don't know if we can trust this one God. Couldn't we just go back to the gods we had before? It was so cross-cultural for them to have only one God that they were willing to go back into slavery so that they might have the comfort of all of their other gods. Do you understand? Craig, you don't understand the culture we live in. Folks, I'm telling you, you don't understand the culture from which these people were birthed. You don't understand the culture that the early church was saved out of. And God's called us to be in this culture but different from the culture. And we are going to have to look different. And folks, if you don't look different, you need to ask yourself the question, do you belong to this God? Why is he so jealous? See, this is a hard sermon. And there will be a lot of hard sermons as we work our way through the Ten Commandments. Because there's so many do-nots wrapped up in here. And folks, we don't live in a culture that does a whole lot of do-not. I mean, let's just be honest. As a matter of fact, not only do we not live in a culture that it, it wants a lot of do-nots. Hey, how, how guilty are we when you really want advice? 
you're real careful about who you call on the phone to ask because you don't want to call somebody that's going to tell you no. Yeah, some of y'all know. I know because there's some of y'all that don't know. I, 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 get a, I get a call about everything except that one thing. And I'm like, man, I didn't know they were doing that. wonder why they didn't call me. They called me before they bought a car, but they didn't call me before they did that. That doesn't make good sense. They called their pastor, wanted their pastor to pray for them about picking out a car, but they didn't, they didn't call their pastor when they were thinking about whether or not they needed to miss, you know, the next 60% of their church services or they needed to go into, you know, debt and not be able to do that. They didn't call. What, what's going on? We all do it. I can be guilty of it, you know. There's some of y'all I wouldn't call about my serial addiction. I don't want to talk about it. It's real, though. Those Reese's Puffs, y'all, they are, man. Don't be like me, all right? Don't do it. Just don't buy them. Um, but some of y'all, I wouldn't call about that because I don't want y'all to tell me no because some of y'all, be honest with me, Craig, those things are going to kill you. You better quit. Others are like, man, can I come over and have a bowl, right? We get into these Ten Commandments. We don't like being told do not. And so the truth of the matter is, when you find an aspect of the culture that you want to hang on to, you're not even calling and asking somebody that might tell you no. Or we ask our questions in such a way that we can't comfortably receive a no. You don't see anything wrong with this, right? Hey, we already paid our money to do this. You think this is good, right? Why is God jealous? Number one, God is jealous because God loves truth and he knows the truth. That there is no other, no other hope for salvation except for Jesus Christ. Here's the other thing though. God is jealous because God loves you. And God loves me. God is jealous because God knows what we need and He's willing to do the hard things to give us what we need. Some of you as parents understand what I'm talking about. Because y'all have children. And as children, children are wonderful, right? I love them in every way, but all four of my kids are in here today. And so some of y'all can know like this. It doesn't happen with my kids, but some of y'all might have this. I have the pastor's kids. They're the perfect kids. Um, they hang out with the deacon's kids and it gets kind of troublesome. But how many of y'all ever had this? You say something like, Dear children, I have fixed you a nutritious meal. And here you have, you know, chicken and some broccoli and some beans. And you have to hear, Oh, none of my friends have to eat this. Why do you hate me and you give me all this food to eat, you know? Dear children, you should go to bed at night. None of my friends go to bed at night. Their parents don't make them do anything. Why do you treat me this way? My, friend, my friends live on energy drinks and snicker bars. That's all they ever have, you know? I mean, that's, and as parents, we're just sitting back and we're like, man, I've, I've become the bad guy. How did this happen? Hey, children, why don't you put that cell phone away and actually engage in a real conversation? None of my friends have to put their cell phone, whatever. I mean, we have all these rabid teenagers and children that are just roaming the earth without any supervision. They're just existing off of straight sugar and zero sleep. It's amazing. That's right, guys. I'm talking to y'all over here, all y'all. 
And as parents, we just, and, and, and look, as parents, we become our parents, don't we? And we, we're just sitting back going, I, I know what's best for you. You have to trust me. And the kids are just like, y'all don't know anything. You're so dumb. And the entire time you're going, I just love you so much, and I just want what's best. And if you'll just trust me, I've actually been 15. I actually have an idea about what's good for you right now. If you'll just listen. And y'all, so often, we are 14-year-olds shaking our fist at God. God, I just want what I want. You don't understand. And he's literally like, I wrote the book. I created you with my words. I've redeemed you. I've set you free. And I am the only hope. And you would rather argue with my word than submit and surrender and find joy and hope and satisfaction. This morning, as Pastor Kevin comes to lead us, the invitation is simple. Would you come today? Would you come today and submit to this one true and living God and find hope in the good news that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sin. There's some of you here today who don't know Jesus and today needs to be the day. But there's also some believers here today who have been working really hard to balance out all the gods that you're trying to pursue. And today you recognize there is only one God and I have not been pursuing Him. This morning as we sing, I would invite you to pray. To come and repent before the Lord because you've sought out all the other things find hope and healing in Jesus. Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, we love you and praise you and thank you for your word. Pray, Lord God, that it would work. That we would have no other gods before you. Help us to trust you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen.